This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This episode was made possible by the following sponsors. Dare to Brew Different with new and exciting hop varieties from Hopsteiner's industry-leading breeding program. Varieties like Sultana, Lotus, Bravo, Altus, and Contessa are now available in lupulin pellet form, packing more flavor and aroma per pellet. Discover more at hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. And thanks also to Brew Ninja, a brewery software solution that streamlines your day-to-day operations, including inventory, accounting, sales, and compliance, so that you can focus on making great beer. Listeners of this podcast will receive a unique offer by going to GetBrewNinja.com and using the code BrewNinja21. They condition with honey to give that perception of sweetness. And I think sort of doing that with a dry beer... Uh, is is really something that elevates the overall flavor and and just makes it significantly, significantly more drinkable. This week on the show, some tips and inspiration for using honey in your beer. Hello, my name is Keith Size, and I work for the National Honey Board as the ingredient marketing representative. What makes honey more than just a sugar source like dextrose or corn syrup? What's really unique about honey is is not only its source, meaning it's coming from from honeybees, which is you know the only type of food we eat from from an insect out there. Uh, It's also unique because it has more than 181 different components. So most people, whenever they think about honey, just think of a a sugar source, a carbohydrate. But if you uh, chemically analyze honey, you're going to find all sorts of minerals, acids, prebiotics, uh, volatile organic compounds, bacteria, wild yeast, all these amazing things that give honey its trademark flavor as well as its functionality. And they've all been put in there by the honeybee. Uh, Nothing has been added by us humans. Talk about the range of flavors we can find in honey. There's all kinds of stuff out there, right? Yeah, honey is really unique just because of the amount of varietals it has. So it's kind of similar to wine in in the sense that there's a terroir with each type of honey you have. So there's more than 300 different varietals of honey here in the United States and more than 3,000 worldwide. And it's all dependent on where the bees forage for nectar. So if you put a hive next to a orange grove, say down in Florida, the bees are going to feed from the nectar from those flowers on the orange trees, and they're going to produce orange blossom honey. Uh, If you put a 
hive in the middle of the Midwest in an alfalfa field, you're going to get alfalfa honey. And each of those honeys are going to be completely unique. One's going to have a hint of citrus. The other is going to be more grassy hay notes. Uh, So this is really really an advantage to brewers because you you don't just have kind of one note honey, how that's going to impact the beer. Uh, You can use a darker, more robust honey uh, to really bring some barnyard funk flavor notes to to a beer, or you can use a more lighter, delicate one that brings more floral aromatics to a beer. What's one of the more interesting uh, off the wall flavors you've, you've gotten from honey? Uh, the we were at a uh, Charlotte uh, chapter of the Pink Boots last week, uh, where we spoke to their group, and somebody said uh, one of the honeys tasted like spaghettios. And as soon as they said that, we all kind of nodded our head and went, <laughs> "Okay, yep. I, I can get that." Obviously, it's a bit of the power of persuasion. But the one that always shocks people most is is buckwheat honey, just because buckwheat honey is a a real dark, almost motor oil black honey. And, uh, you know, especially for brewers, they immediately describe it as, as horse blanket or, or barnyard. Uh, it really has those earthy kind of vegetal flavors and, and brings, uh, brings a funkiness to a beer. Cool. So everything from horse blanket to toasted marshmallows and whatever else there is out there, right? Definitely. All right. Keith, you did a webinar for Master Brewers last year. If anyone listening is interested in learning more about honeybees, I highly recommend watching that webinar because beyond everything related to brewing with honey, you also presented some fascinating information about bees and how the honey industry works. So while we don't have time today to get into topics like supersedure or royal jelly, I want to give you a chance to mention one of your favorite bee facts. What's one thing you'd like to tell listeners about honeybees? Yeah, I think the uh, the really one of the most interesting thing whenever I look at the whole you know world of of honeybees is just how they're responsible for for making honey, uh, which seems obvious. But if you think about it, they're extracting a nectar from a flower, uh, which is about eighty percent moisture, and they're converting it naturally into what we know as honey. Uh, and and how they do that is a combination of enzymes in their stomach as well as passing it from bee to bee. But what's really fascinating about honeybees is whenever they're kind of ready to deposit that honey in the honeycomb, it's still too much moisture. It's about a 60 to 70% moisture content. And at this point, it's going to essentially spoil, grow mold, or it's going to start fermentation, which they don't want either of those outcomes. So they have this innate ability to evaporate the moisture off that honey by flapping their wings, and they know exactly when it gets to 17.1% moisture content. And at 17.1% moisture content, they know they have a stable ingredient that they can seal, and that honey, uh, in theory, should last forever. That's pretty cool. Okay, going back to the question I asked earlier about what's unique about honey versus other fermentables, one thing is that honey doesn't really get processed like most other ingredients. What we get in the jar or bucket really is pretty much just the exact same stuff that's in the beehive, right? Yeah, it's uh, what the bees make is 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 what you end up getting, whether you're a brewer in a in a big pail or or a barrel, or if you go to the supermarket. That's one of the most kind of fascinating things about honey. Whenever you look at it versus other you know sugar sources, is most sugar sources are plants, fruits, uh, things like that that are getting processed into a powder 
or a syrup uh, by by humans and, and manufacturing facilities. And, you know, that finished product then comes to your, your brewery's door. Uh, with honey, the honeybees do all the work. Uh, yes, beekeepers are, are really important in the process because they're only taking the honey that the bees don't need. Uh, so the beekeepers, one of their main jobs is an average hive is going to make about 120 pounds of honey a year, uh, knowing what that beehive will need to survive the winter, uh, which is generally around 50 to 60 pounds. And then that excess honey comes to us. But they're not manipulating it. Uh, they just have to extract it uh, out of the hive, and they do that with a centrifuge uh, and then bottle it and, and bring it to the brewery. If we were to do a chemical analysis of honey, what would we find? What exactly is in honey? If you take a kind of a, a 40,000 foot view of honey, uh, you're going to find mainly sugars, uh, which kind of makes sense. Uh, it's a sweet you know, carbohydrate-based product. Uh, you're going to have about 82% uh, carbohydrates, about 17% water, and 1% all sorts of acids, mineral, microbes, uh, things like that. But what's interesting about the sugar load in honey is it's mainly dominated by fructose and glucose, uh, but there's also more than 20 other different types of sugars in there, some very familiar to brewers, such as maltose and, and malt. Uh, maltotrios. So you have all this sorts of sugars that is going to inevitably impact fermentation, uh, but it also, you know, this more than 20 different sugars in honey also gives it kind of all these dynamic and, and complex flavors, sweetnesses, and it not just kind of that one note carbohydrate source. If I add honey to my wort or beer, I'm actually going to get some natural acidification from that addition, right? You, you just mentioned acids. Yeah, acids are one of the most fascinating things about honey uh, in general and specifically as it relates to brewing. So you don't generally think of, of honey as an acidic ingredient, but it actually has a pH of 3.9, which is going to put it right in between tomato and vinegar uh, in terms of acidity. Uh, the, the types of acids are, are a lot of the organic acids, such as acetic acid, butyric, citric, lactic, and something called gluconic acid, which gluconic acid is is one of the most fascinating acids in honey. And what this does is it initially imparts a sweet taste, uh, but then becomes slightly acidic on the tail end. Uh, and this is why, you know, if you eat enough of any sweetener, it's going to become overly cloyingly sweet. But honey is a much more balanced ingredient because it has these acids in it. And this is really going to kind of impact brewing because whenever you create a recipe, you're not only balancing for the carbs, the sugars, uh, the sweetness that you may get, or the additional fermentation, dependent on where you add it. But you also have these these acids that are going to contribute flavor. And and something like gluconic acid is is really neat whenever you think about a beer recipe because what that does is it enhances the flavors of very floral and herbal types of flavors. So chefs have always used honey for the gluconic acid because in a sauce and a dressing, something with say rose merry or thyme, it's going to elevate those notes. Uh, the same is being done by some brewers who are using it in IPAs because they feel it kind of rounds out some of the rough edges of hops and really elevates those floral notes. Volatile organic compounds are probably what we're most interested in getting out of the honey and into the beer. This is where location is everything, right? Definitely. Yeah. Uh, the, the VOCs and, and honey really provided that unique 
fingerprint of where that honey is from and and really gets great aromas. Uh, however, you know, as the name implies, uh, they are volatile. And depending on where you use it, you're either going to get some of these VO3, VOCs through to your finished beer uh, or you're going to lose them. Uh, if anybody's brewing on more of the hot side, it's going to be difficult to maintain the majority of these VOCs uh, just because even if you add it at the uh, tail end of the boil or even in the whirlpool, uh, once it goes through fermentation, uh, and if it goes through full fermentation, because those yeasts are going to go after kind of those simple sugars and honey first, uh, it has a potential to scrub those out. So if you want to maintain a lot of those VOCs uh, and, and get that aroma, what you're going to want to do is, is really add it after peak fermentation. Uh, so right after peak fermentation is going to give you the greatest ability to preserve uh, really strong aromatics, whether that is kind of uh, floral notes or maybe the, the ripe fruit kind of notes coming from some honeys. All right. Just like dry hopping. Exactly. <laughs> there are plenty of enzymes in honey, including potentially amylase. Talk about that. Yeah, amylase is an enzyme. There's there's four different enzymes found in honey. Uh, as as enzymes tend to do, they they chemically react with something and then they kind of peter out, uh, become inactive, uh, and and most hunt most of the enzymes in honey aren't going to impact brewing in any manner. Uh, there is a potential for one, which is amylase, and what this has a potential to do if you have somehow get a high kind of amylase content honey, uh, it has a potential to dry out your beer way more than you want, uh, just because uh, that amylase is going to be really start to work on on the various uh, converting those starches to dextrins and, and sugars. And it, it could get a potential where it could kind of uh, over attenuate that beer. Uh, however, this is only going to happen uh, if if you have this honey and you kind of bring it straight from the bee yard, straight from the beekeeper into your brewery and right into one of your tanks. Uh, that amylase over time is going to kind of work its way out of the honey, and and most brewers aren't kind of taking it straight from the hive into their uh, breweries. So it's generally not an issue. I've been doing this for uh, nine years, I think, working with brewers. And I've only had it be an issue one time. It was from a brewer who's always had a honey beer and they switched honey suppliers. And uh, this one honey supplier just had something about their honey, which unfortunately we don't know what creates a high amylase honey. Uh, so it could happen, something to be cognizant of. But again, uh, in, in nine years, I've only heard of it happening one time. Is there any way to get a heads up on that or, or is it, you just got to find out once it happens? Well, you can get a heads up. You can test your honey for amylase, uh, but it depends. If you're buying from your, your local beekeeper, they're not going to have the gear uh, to be able to test honey for the amylase. However, if you are buying from a, a more commercial supplier, then you can definitely get an amylase readout on your honey uh, just to make sure it's, it's not going to do too much to the beer. Okay, let's talk about the various points in the process that a brewer might use honey, as well as the pros and cons of each. When do we want to add honey to the brew kettle? What are we going to get out of that addition? And how much should we use? 
The the addition of honey is is really dependent on what you're looking for. Uh, we like to say there's no uh, right or wrong way to use honey. Uh, it just all depends what you're getting out of your beer. Uh, most people, we do a survey after our honey beer competition every year, uh, and you know we can pretty definitively say that most brewers are adding honey on the hot side, uh, mainly in the brew kettle at the very tail end of boil. While, why they're doing this is, is honey is about 95 to 99% fermentable. Uh, they don't want an overly sweet beer. This is why you would add it on the hot side uh, because most of those sugars are going to ferment out. And what you're going to be left with are some real complex flavors, uh, some grassy, some hay notes. Uh, you're also going to get some uh, minimal aromatics. Now, whenever you add it on the hot side, uh, two things you have to consider is, is when to add it. So you don't want to add it at the beginning of the boil. Uh, that's going to essentially scorch out all the wonderful things of, of honey. Uh, you want to you know, you want to add it as as late as possible to where you feel comfortable. Uh, we did a study many years ago, and at ten minutes left in the boil, uh, the enzymes, the uh, microbials in honey were all deactivated, uh, and it didn't really impact the flavor that much. So adding it on the hot side in the last 10 minutes is going to do a couple things. It's going to raise the ABV of the beer, and it's going to thin out the body a little bit. Now, brewers can sort of modify their mash profiles to still get that boost in ABV if they want it, uh, but, but not thin out the body. And We've got sort of the research, and it's generally around 10 degrees elevation of your, your mash temperatures, and that's going to get it to where that body stays the same, but you still get that boost in ABV. From a beer chemistry standpoint, uh, the big thing you're going to get, like I said, is that ABV boost. Uh, you're also going to get a decrease in the beer color a little bit and uh, not get any residual sweetness, but definitely get some uh, great aromatics, uh, kind of those wild flower notes. Okay. Is that color uh, adjustment, is that, is that going to be a, a, a big difference or is it pretty slight? No, it's going to be a, a, a very slight difference. Uh, it's just a, a little bit lighter. The, the problem is <laughs> we've tried to look at how to analyze how a specific color of honey would impact the beer. But one of the most challenging parts was that uh, how we grade honey colors is completely different than how beer colors are graded. And it would have been too big of an endeavor to try to match those things up. But I'm looking at uh, some some data right now, and the uh, color from SRM went from a 7.7 on our control beer to a 7.3 uh, in our beer with honey. So it is a minimal uh, difference, but but nothing major. Okay, and that can be expected even if you use a very dark honey. Definitely, yes. You'll okay. still get that kind of because we did different varietals of honey, and you'll still get that lightening of the beer a little bit. Coming up. Definitely don't add it at the beginning. Uh, if you add it at the beginning, again, uh, since honey is mainly fructose and glucose, the, the yeast that you're using are going to go absolutely crazy with all this huge addition of, of, of simple sugars. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas.
There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation works with your existing fermentation tanks to track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity in real time from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Get started for 30 days risk-free. Visit precisionfermentation.com MBAA. Master Brewers Podcast is brought to you by RAR North Star Pills, a new base malt to set your compass by. RAR North Star Pills is crafted for brewers looking for a domestic Pilsner malt with low color and low modification. North Star Pills carries overtones of honey and sweet bread, supported by flavors and aromas of hay and nutty character. Suitable for any beer style, but particularly craft brewed versions of classic lagers. Let RAR North Star Pills guide your craft by visiting bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact us at 1-800-374-2739. There's one more sponsor I should mention, and that's Muntins, offering a wide range of malted ingredients sourced within a 50-mile radius of their maltings. Listen to Nigel Davis discuss sustainability at Muntins on episode 206. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. Thanks to Rob Schwartz, who wrote in to let us know that District Rocky Mountain is offering a scholarship to the Master Brewers Brewing and Malting Science course. The deadline to apply is September 1st. Check the show notes for a direct link. District Midwest meets at the Yellow Springs Brewery Barrel Room September 18th. District Eastern Canada holds a webinar September 22nd. September 23rd is a busy day. District St. Louis has a golf outing. Districts Mid-South and Milwaukee have meetings. District Georgia meets at Southern Brewing in Athens September 24th. The District Ontario 2021 Iron Brewer Competition is September 24th. District Carolinas meets in Greenville October 1st and 2nd. District Northwest will hold its annual meeting in Hood River October 22nd and 23rd. There's one big meeting that's on my calendar. I hope it's on yours. The 2021 Master Brewers Conference will be October 28th through the 30th in Cleveland. Registration is open now. And don't forget the world-famous Master Brewers Brewing and Malting Science course begins October 31st. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. back to the show. As you mentioned, we're going to lose the vast majority of the interesting volatiles with those boil additions. If we do a whirlpool addition instead, are we likely to retain those compounds or not so much? 
a Whirlpool edition is going to allow you to get some of those uh, volatile organic compounds, some of those flavors. Uh, the sweetness still isn't going to uh, carry through just because uh, the fermentation is is going to pretty much scrub scrub all that sweetness out. But you will get stronger uh, complexities. Uh, you will get the perception of sweetness, uh, which is this really great characteristic of honey is it you know, can can deliver the perception of sweetness even when you're not getting any actual sweetness in there. Uh, and a lot of that comes from the aromatics. Uh, you're going to get that typical honey smell. And then depending on the varietal you use, you could also get some pretty other dynamic smells. But this is really where I think some of my favorite honey beers have come from, uh, just because I generally, uh, even though you know I deal with honey, I don't like sweet beers. Uh, and, and this is where I, I really can, can tell whenever a honey has been added in sort of uh, the whirlpool, because I get that sort of perception of sweetness and those great aromatics, uh, but I can really, you know, tell the style of the beer they're going for, and, and that really stays true. So, when do we uh, want to add honey on the cold side, and what's that going to get us? Yeah, adding honey on the cold side uh, generally means you want some of that sweetness. So you're adding honey, you want people to know it's a honey beer, you want that sweetness to come through. Uh, this is when you're going to add it to your uh, fermentation vessel. The thing here is, you know, you have choices of when to add to your uh, fermentation vessel. And definitely don't add it at the beginning. Uh, if you add it at the beginning, again, uh, since honey is mainly fructose and glucose, the the yeast that you're using are going to go absolutely crazy with all this huge addition of, of, of simple sugars. So the, the fermentation is going to start really robust, really hot, and have a potential to scrub out all that essence of honey. Uh, where we think the best place to add it is right after peak fermentation. After peak fermentation, the yeast is already in that highly active state and they're going to be able to handle those simple sugars inside of honey without stalling out your fermentation, without delaying your fermentation or, or something like that. The one cautionary tale I, I will have about adding it sort of at peak fermentation is Honey is a pretty sweet ingredient. It's about 1.1 to 1.5 times sweeter than, than sugar. Uh, so you're not going to need a lot of honey. Uh, you know, a little can go a long way adding it in this spot, unless you're really looking for a, a very sweet beer flavor profile. But if you want something where you're still going to be able to tell the style and just add a nice round sweetness, uh, then you're not going to need to use a lot of honey to accomplish that goal. Okay, so way more bang for the buck on the cold side, but exactly how much should we use there? Uh, I would generally say around 5% of the fermentable sugars, uh, 5 to 7%. If you want to get a much more sweeter profile, uh, then I could push it up to 10. But anything after that, uh, again, if you're looking to create a, a beer that is really, really sweet, you can push those levels up. Uh, but I think the sweet spot is really between that 5 to 7%. What about microbes? What are the odds that I'm going to inoculate my tank with beer spoilers if I do a cold side addition? Yeah, it's something that's always a a, a major concern uh, from from brewers whenever we talk about honey is is the fact that honey does have microorganisms. Uh, you know, honey itself, you can drink bottles and bottles of it, and you're never going to have an issue because of the pH is 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 
to a point to where the acidity renders all those things uh, kind of dormant. However, once you obviously add to a beer, you're you're changing the pH of that product. And in, in theory, those microbes, those microorganisms in the honey could start replicating again, could start potentially delivering off flavors or infecting your beer. Uh, I go back to the fact that I've been doing this for nine years and I've never heard of it happening. I've never heard somebody come up to me and say, uh, I, I got some infections and I think it was because of the honey I used in the beer. But that's not to say that uh, it can't happen. So if I'm, you know, a, a brewery at a large brewery and I'm making a a honey beer that's uh, being packaged in in high case counts and being shipped around the country, uh, it's definitely something I would concern myself with, with, and I would heat treat the honey. Either I would add it on the hot side, or if I wanted that sweetness, I would dilute that honey one-to-one with water. And then uh, we did a study and really found that sweet spot of keeping the essence of honey while deactivating the microbes is 185 degrees for 20 minutes. So that dilution of honey honey and water, uh, heat it at 185 for 20 minutes is going to allow you to basically inactivate anything that could cause a potential issue uh, while still maintaining kind of that essence, uh, that flavors, that, that, that why you would use honey in the first place to deliver. What's the best practice for adding honey to cold beer? That sounds like it could be tricky. Yes, the uh, best practice is is definitely agitation uh, or dilution. One of those two things. If you can dilute the honey beforehand uh, and then add it, that is great because it's going to disperse completely. Uh, if you can't do that, or you know it's it's a pain in the neck to figure out those calculations, uh, you also can do mechanical agitation. Slow and steady with with some sort of agitation is is necessary. Uh, I have heard stories of brewers who just dump it in, it sinks to the bottom, they don't think about it, and then whenever they go to rack their beer, they have a you know massive pool of congealed honey at, at the bottom of their tank. So you're going to need some kind of either dilution or mechanical uh, or manual agitation to make sure that honey is completely dispersed. What about using honey and conditioning? I'm pretty sure we did that for some cast-conditioned beers at one of the breweries I worked at a long time ago. Yeah, I would say conditioning with honey is is probably one of the fastest growing areas of honey honey's use. Uh, and actually, we had our honey beer competition at the end of August, and the winner of that competition uh, was a uh, Belgian wit beer that was conditioned with orange blossom honey. So, why you would want to do this? Because I mean, honey is a much more expensive ingredient than 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 sugar, than dextrose, something you would normally condition with. Uh, so, if you're just looking for your conditioner to kind of sit in the background, uh, then you know use one of those other ingredients that that'll be fine. But what honey does is it does a couple of things. If if you're producing a dry beer, honey, you know, conditioning with honey is really going to kind of give you this perception of sweetness. Uh, it's also going to kind of create a tighter foam uh, and give a much better mouthfeel. Uh, I've had one brewer explain it to me. It's like using, uh, you know, it's like having a nitro beer without uh, without the nitro, uh, and that's through the, the the conditioning with with honey. And it's it's really kind of uh, something that 
I, I know two or three brewers who are out there who do it exclusively with honey, and it, it really helps on these uh, kind of softer, more delicate beers. Uh, really add that extra layer of of complexity as as well as sort of just this great mouthfeel. Okay, there are obviously lots of different varietals out there. I think you said you know three or four hundred or something like that. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but do you have any advice for a brewer who maybe doesn't know where to start? Yeah, I think starting to look at uh, varietals, uh, it's kind of seems obvious, but it's true. Uh, whenever you're making a dark beer, stout, porter, uh, something like that, look for darker honeys. Uh, darker honeys are generally more robust in flavor, so they're going to hold up better in those products. Whereas if you're making something more delicate, uh, look for a lighter colored honey. Uh, something that like orange blossom or or meadow foam honey that has more delicate flavors that aren't going to overpower the beer. So that's really the first step is is go light to light and and dark to dark. Uh, outside of that, uh, we always say Google, explore, ask us. There's some um, amazing honeys out there that can deliver some pretty uh, amazing flavor profiles. And it's something that we actually do quite a bit is we get emails all the time from brewers that say, I'm developing a, a Saison with hibiscus. What do you think is a good honey that pairs with that? And then we help them sort of kind of find find that honey that's going to pair with that. So it's it's definitely can be a tricky thing, but it's also uh, very fun to try out. That's cool. I have fond memories. Back in 2004, I remember making a honey beer at Cap City Brewing Company in Arlington with my buddy Kevin Kozak. And I don't remember much about the beer that we ended up making, but I do remember a lot about the process of us trying to decide what type of honey to use. And um, I think we ended up using this uh, website called Honey Locator or something like that. And we found um, some, some, you know, local apiaries and we were able to get samples of lots of different varieties. And so we had all these tiny little jars in the brewery and we spent hours, you know, kind of just tasting little bits of honey uh, and, and trying to decide what we wanted in the beer. And, um, that sure was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, uh, Honey Locator is a, is a part of the honey.com website. So that's a great place to start to look for varietals, uh, whether you want to buy them locally or nationwide uh, or even globally. Uh, so that's on honey.com and it's a great little feature of that website. Keith, what's the most innovative use of honey you've seen thus far in brewing? I think one of the most innovative uh, uses of honey I've seen. I'm going to say a couple things because it's hard for me to say just one. Uh, one is in the conditioning of, of dry beers. So uh, Celador Ales out of California, uh, they make uh, some, some, some really outstanding beers, but they're, you know, they're, they're pretty dry beers and they condition with honey to give that perception of sweetness. And I think sort of doing that with a dry beer uh, is is really something that elevates the overall flavor and and just makes it significantly significantly more drinkable. Uh, so that's that's one example. I think uh, another really innovative thing is Jester King down in Austin made a Boucher beer. And what Boucher is is it's a type of mead. Uh, it's a sort of a style of mead where you basically get your honey and you scorch it. Uh, so you 
you you boil it, you cook it in a kettle uh, for six, seven, eight hours. Uh, and that's going to trigger the, the Mollard reaction, uh, start caramelizing those sugars. Uh, so they did this, but instead of adding it to a Boucher mead, they created a beer spinoff uh, that was kind of taking that same concept of using a, a burnt honey inside of the formula. And it, it created just these really dynamic flavor profiles. I always get asked what my kind of favorite honey beer is. And uh, definitely it's one of the favorites I've had over the years has been from Oxbow up in uh, Portland, Maine. And what they did is they took their uh, farmhouse ale, uh, which is a, uh, a great beer from them, and they brewed four different versions of it uh, using that same base beer with four different types of honey. Uh, so each of those kind of honeys impacted the flavor, the color, the aroma of the beer in a different way. And what was really innovative about this is that they put it in a mixed four pack. So whenever you picked up this mixed four pack, uh, you could do a vertical of the same base beer just with different varietals of honey and see how, you know, an ingredient is as small as honey, which doesn't has a huge usage level inside of beer, how it can really have a big impact on the finished properties of that beer. That was Keith Size here on the Master Brewers podcast. If you want to learn more, check the show notes for a link to Keith's Master Brewers webinar on the same topic. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Brew Ninja, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. Master Brewers offers a wide range of resources for breweries of all sizes and stages. Stay current on the latest scientific advancements, technical information, and industry trends by joining Master Brewers. Join today and use offer code BEER2021 to save 20% on dues now through December 31st, 2021. Master Brewers. United we brew.